Uh, but let's get into God's Word. Matthew chapter 14. We're going to look at uh, a couple verses here. We're starting in verse 13, and we are going to read through verse 20, 21. So please follow along in your Bible as I read. Matthew chapter 14, verse 13 through 21. Now when Jesus heard this, he withdrew from there in a boat to a desolate place by himself. But when the crowds heard it, they followed him on foot from from the towns. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them and healed their sick. Now when it was evening... The disciples came to him and said, This is a desolate place, and the day is now over. Send the crowds away to go into the villages to buy food for themselves. But Jesus said, They need not go away. You give them something to eat. Verse 17, They said to him, We have only five loaves here and two fish. And he said, Bring them here to me. Then he ordered the crowds to sit down on the grass, and taking the five loaves and two fish... He looked up to heaven and said a blessing. Then he broke the loaves and gave them to to the disciples, and the disciples gave them to the crowds. And they all ate and were satisfied. And they took up 12 baskets full of the broken pieces left over, and those who ate were about 5,000 men, besides women and children. Father, we ask that as we come into this text that your Holy Spirit speak to us in such a way that it might come alive in our hearts, convict us of our sin, and let us, God, meet with Jesus this morning. It is in his name we pray. Amen. In the early 1800s in England, it was not uncommon to step over a dying child in the middle of the street just after being hassled by three or four other children on the corner asking you for money. As a result of sickness in the country, parents unable to take care of their kids, a loss of jobs, kids were often orphaned and sent out to the streets. They, many of them lived in the poorly run poor houses, but the majority of the kids just simply lived on the streets, begging, many of them dying. Now, it was in this context, in 1832, that a man named George Mueller moved into Bristol. He moved there with his wife, and they got a small apartment. They began a school, began to educate children, and he began to help pastor a church. Two years later, he would build an orphanage. You see, the needs were absolutely tremendous. As there were so many kids just with so many needs, and George Mueller and his wife were such compassionate people, it wasn't long before kids began knocking on the Mueller's door, asking for food. The Mueller's would allow the child to come in, serve them dinner, maybe give them a place to sleep for the night, and then like hungry birds, more children would come. Another child and another child knocking on the door. How could Mueller, with such compassion, turn any of these children away? He could not. He then bought a house across the street from him, staffed it, and 
moved a bunch of children into this house. It was an experiment. It was new. It was an orphanage. The house quickly filled up. He began to pray for money to be able to build more houses. He built another house, built another house, larger one. Pretty soon, Mueller was fathering hundreds of children at a time, staffing these houses with funds given by donation that he prayed for. The kids were well-dressed. They were well-loved. They were taken care of. They were well-educated. And they were each taught the gospel. By the time George Mueller died, he had fathered 10,024 children. Every single one of them he knew by name. Many of them became pastors and missionaries, husbands and wives, business leaders and politicians. Children that otherwise had no hope, that were just knocking on the door, were given life. Now, in addition to all of this, George Mueller also was an, a great administrator, was able to administrate all of these houses. He was co-pastoring a large church. He had a Bible society, and he ran a mission society. I mean, he, he literally was a tremendous, a tremendous person, and he lived a tremendous life. But this is the reason I tell you this story. If, if George Mueller were here today, he would not want us to glorify him. But he would want us to glorify the one through whom he was able to do all of this stuff. If you were to read George Mueller's biography, what you would discover is this, is that George Mueller was not extraordinary in and of himself. George Mueller was an ordinary person who had an extraordinary God. And he was given extraordinary amounts of grace each day for the tasks to which God had called him. Listen, Hebrews chapter 13 verse 21 says this. It says, God will equip you with everything good for doing his will. God will equip you with everything good for doing his will that he may work in us what is pleasing to him. Listen, if God calls George Mueller to a certain task on a certain day, God supplies what is needed for George Mueller to perform that task. That was his daily life. He never set out with this grand vision, oh, I've got this idea, I'm going to have five orphans, I've got this, I'm going to have 10,000 kids, I've got all these metrics and these more. No, he just, day to day, he saw the task that God had set before him, and he stuck his hand out and he said, God, I need you to supply what I need in order to accomplish that task. God supplies for the tasks that he calls you to in this life. I want to talk to you on this topic. This is the, the title of my, my sermon this morning, it is this. We serve, Jesus supplies. Everybody say it together. Say, we serve. Who does? We do. And who supplies? Jesus supplies. We serve and Jesus supplies. We're getting into this text now. So we see this, this massive crowd, 5,000 people. By the way, it says 5,000 men besides women and children. 
in the old days, they would just count the men, and that was how they would come up with the numbers. So we're talking about including women and children. By the way, this is back when, when there were often large families. So like 20,000 people, that would be like a conservative estimate as to how many people were actually standing in this crowd, all right? And they're hungry, they got some hungry bellies, and they need some food. That is really the focus of this miracle. 20, 25,000, 30,000 people who need to eat. That would be overwhelming. The, the, the tasks that George Mueller faced every day would be, would be overwhelming for any one of us. And listen, let's not minimize our own life. Like, just think of the city that we live in. 650,000 bodies in this city, that many, many of which are hungry, many of which are living in poverty, many of which are, have been abused and are victims of sexual assault. 650 bodies that need care. 650,000 souls, many of which are lost. The majority of which are heading toward an eternity separated from God. The task in front of us is daunting and overwhelming as we are called as a church to be salt and light and make disciples in this city. And then we look at us. Ragtag group of people. Different. Different backgrounds. Different races. Some extroverts. Some introverts. Like when we think of the task that's really in front of us, to be salt and light in Baltimore City, to be a people who serves and meets the needs, and not only that, but stands between an individual and eternity and speaks the gospel with boldness and actually rescues the perishing and cares for the dying through the work of Jesus Christ, it is an overwhelming task. God has called you as an individual to something that is overwhelming. But friends, God will supply daily what you need to perform your task. So let's get into it. I want to kind of go through this miracle today with these two big statements. Number one, we serve. And number two, Jesus supplies. We serve those who are in need. And Jesus supplies that which is needed. We serve those who are in need. First thing we see here in the text is that Jesus cares for the lost. We see this in verse 13. He cares for the lost. You know, my sister, I was just home in Akron last week, and and I was reminded that my sister is someone who has a massive uh, amount of compassion. Growing up, like, she was always compassionate for the underdog or for the one who's defeated. She would always just, like, weep, weep inside as she saw someone who is, is hurting. And, and, uh, and she still is like that today. Like, uh, a couple years ago, she was working as a nurse in oncology and uh, uh, treating cancer patients. And she would just feel all the pain that they were feeling. Like, she has this, this uh, unbelievable ability, I guess, to just empathize and sympathize with people who are in, in pain and feel their pain, and it really, really drives her up the wall sometimes. And I tell her, I joke with her, I'm like, your heart is just like way too big. You just have like way too much compassion in your life. But I think at the same time, I think there's something about my sister that really does reflect Jesus. I mean, you look at the text, and, and we see here that uh, 
that, that Jesus has, uh, verse 13, he hears about this, it says, and he withdraws into a desolate place. What is it that Jesus hears about? What is the this he hears about? What do you guys think? Right, exactly, Andrea, thank you. So it's John the Baptist being killed. And, what, and who does Herod think Jesus is? John the Baptist resurrected. So when Jesus hears about this, we're going back to that, he hears that Herod Antipas, who's a cruel dude, believes that he's John the Baptist raised from the dead. Jesus gets out of there. He, the, the, by the way, a little side note, this tells you that you are freed from like the martyr syndrome of like putting yourself into a situation where you probably will get hurt for the sake of Jesus. Like Jesus actually ran sometimes for his safety. And so he gets out of there and he goes to a desolate place with his disciples. So Jesus gets into the boat. They're going across to this quiet little hillside. And as they're, as they're uh, uh, coming toward the shore, what do they see? In verse 13, anybody? They see crowds. You see that right there in verse 13? Are you with me? All right. So Jesus is coming toward the shore, and what we see is that crowds followed him, and they're standing now on the shore waiting for Jesus. Now, let's just do a little bit of me versus Jesus right now. If I was Jesus and I'm like trying to get away to a desolate place and trying to just get some time quiet with the disciples and I'm pulling up to the shore and I see 20,000, 25, 30,000 people coming from all over the place onto the shore side waiting for my boat to land right there, you know what I would do? I would start rowing the other way. Like, I just need a break, right? Like, I so often lack compassion. I so often am trying to find a desolate place. This was his goal. Yet he's met with more needs, more people to serve, more people to minister to. And so he comes ashore, and it says there in the text that Jesus has compassion. Everybody say the word compassion. Jesus has compassion on all of these crowds. Now that word compassion literally means pity. It means sympathy. It has this context of of pain, of hurting in your bowels or in your stomach. I mean, this is the kind of feeling that makes your stomach hurt. That's what Jesus felt for these, these crowds of lost people. It's the kind of pain that turns your stomach it's the kind of pain, that, or it's the kind of compassion, the kind of pity, the kind of sympathy that really makes you hurt. Jesus, the compassionate Savior, he sees the lost not with disdain. He sees them not as, as a problem, not as someone who he's just simply trying to escape from, but he sees them and he hurts for the crowds. He hurts for them. He has compassion on them. He has pity on them. Friends, we have a compassionate Savior. And who is it that's standing on the shore? Who's in this crowd of 20,000, 25,000, 30? They're broken people. 
Jesus calls them elsewhere. In Mark, he's, it says he saw them as sheep without a shepherd. They're like lost souls. It's the broken marriage who's, who's looking for some help, looking for some hope, and they're there hoping to meet Jesus. It's the single mom who's dealing with shame, hoping to meet with Jesus. It's the broken. It's, it's the lost. It's those who are sick. It's those who have pain. There's kids in the group, which, by the way, for kids in the room, you know, sometimes adults can get annoyed with kids. Let me say this. Jesus never gets annoyed with kids. Isn't that amazing? Even when his disciples were annoyed with him, he was like, come on, kids, stay back. Let, let the teacher, you know, come on. He's, don't annoy the teacher right now. Jesus is like, let him come. Let him come. Such compassion for all people. The broken, the hurting, those, I mean, who's standing on the shore? It's, it's, the, it's the one who's been a victim of sexual abuse. That's the person that's standing on the shore. The one who's hurting, the one who is confused with their own sexual identity. That's the person that's standing on the shore. The one who's been through one broken marriage after another and is now living with somebody that they're not married to, that's the person that's standing on the shore. Like the broken, the hurting. Your coworker, you know the coworker that annoys you? Your coworker standing on the shore, a lost individual, sheep without a shepherd, your neighbor that gets on your nerves. Standing on the shore, and Jesus has compassion. Where I fail to have compassion, he has endless amounts of pity and love, and he feels their pain. Friends, you are standing on the shore. Maybe you're here this morning because you need to meet with Jesus today. And you know the brokenness that's in your life. And you're here hoping to meet with Jesus. Jesus has compassion on you. Jesus is a compassionate Savior. One quick point of application right here is simply this. Our local church is to be a compassionate place. You guys understand that? Like, our local church, we should be known for compassion, pity, grace, feeling the pain of someone, seeking to understand someone. Our local church should be a place where broken people know that they can come and find healing and find redemption, find a community of accountability to walk with, a community of love. We also see this. Jesus cares for the lost, but he cares for the lost through, everybody say through. Say it again, through. Thank you. He cares for the lost through, that's the key word, his people. He does it through his people. He has great compassion on all the people we've just talked about, and who is it that he calls to serve them? It's his people. Let me just illustrate this this way. Leo is, I think, an amazing musician. He would get all humble on you and be like, oh, you know, just, I just, <laughs> and uh, so sometimes Leo doesn't know what it's like to just be like an ordinary strumming guitar player, right? So we're sitting in band rehearsal, and 
and Leo's kind of doing this thing and trying to work something up. And, and then he just tells me, like, you know, just like, just play some blues riffs over top of that. I'm like, some blues what? <laughs> just some, uh, and then he'll say some word I've never heard of. Just go ahead and do that. Like, Leo, I, I, don't, know what you, I don't know what that is. Um, like, I, what you see is what you get. <laughs> you know, I, I strum up and down, and that's about it. I know some chords. Now, here's what Jesus is doing, all right? In the same way, Jesus is asking his disciples to do something uh, that, they, that they can't do. But, but here's the difference. It's not something like with Leo and I, I could actually just practice and learn to do what he's telling me to do. I just am lazy, right? His disciples, they can't even like with some practice figure out how to create food. <laughs> do you see what I'm saying? Like this is so far beyond their ability. And so let's look at the text. This is what, this is what happens. As we get into it, we see that Jesus has compassion. They get on the shore. And uh, in verse 15, we see that the, the disciples start to get a little freaked out. They say it's de- this is a desolate place and it's evening. What does that mean? Well, in, in this world, in the ancient world, when night falls, you don't want to be in a desolate place. That's where robbers go. So the disciples actually are getting a little scared as the sun is starting to set and as they realize they're in a desolate place and as they realize that this crowd of 20, 25, 30,000 people are clinging to every word that Jesus is teaching and Jesus is a little long-winded right now. He doesn't seem to want to stop teaching the lost sheep. And so we see actually the disciples' lack of compassion. The disciples say, well, first I should say this, we, we see their fear. Which, by the way, it's one thing to protect your life. But when there is ministry to do, there is no such thing as leaving because of danger. When there is ministry to do, we stick to it, we risk our lives, we go into that home, we go into that relationship, we stick to it even in the midst of danger when there is ministry to be done. Amen? When there are sheep without a shepherd, there is nothing that's going to stop us going to those sheep. Now, at the same time, we see their lack of compassion. They just simply say, let's get rid of them. We've got all of these people on our hands, and they're getting hungry. Jesus, please, just tell them to go. Let's get rid of them. What does Jesus say? Jesus' response, I love it. In verse 16, Jesus says, nah, you guys give him something to eat. And he didn't even, like, qualify. No asterisks and, like, fine print down at the bottom. Like, just kidding. (laughs) He just let it sit there for a second. Thousands of people are hungry. Teacher, we should let him go eat. Jesus says, no, we don't need to do that. We don't need to dismiss them. You guys just go ahead and feed them. We see elsewhere in Mark, the disciples respond to Jesus and they say, it would cost a half a year's wages to feed a crowd this size. Like, let me just illustrate this in McDonald's language, all right? Even if we 
used the two-for-five menu at McDonald's, and we got two-for-five Big Macs for, let's say, conservative estimate, 25,000 people, we're talking about $50,000 for Big Macs. This is their response. Like, I'm doing the math, Jesus, and I don't even know if we could get 50,000 Big Macs, 25,000 Big Macs, but we don't have $50,000. Like, this is absolutely impossible. And so then, verse, verse 17, they come and they say, well, we, this is all we have. Like, we've gone through the crowds, and we've got a Lunchable. Like, this is it. We've got, we've got a Lunchable. We've got a kid's lunch. Five loaves. These are little palm loaves. Small little pieces of bread and two fish. Small fish, like sardines. We've got a happy meal on our hands, Jesus. And you want us to to feed them all? Now, I'm sure that what they were hoping Jesus would say is, Hey, okay, that's fine. Why don't you guys just go ahead and split the happy meal and we'll go ahead and dismiss everybody else, right? Instead, what Jesus says is the opposite. He says, give, give them to me. Give it to me. Give to me what you have. Now, Jesus is going to supply, but before we get to that, I want you to feel this. Jesus actually puts responsibility on your shoulders. Sit with that for just a moment. He actually puts responsibility on on your shoulders. He actually calls you to be about God's mission in this world of seeking the lost, of caring for the hurting and the dying. God, through all of the Bible, has used his people to meet his people's needs. I think of Joseph going into Egypt. Now Jacob and his family, they're starving, they're hungry. Who does God use to supply food for Jacob's family. Joseph. Yes, God was at work through all of that. We're going to get to the supply in just a minute. But God actually used Joseph's own responsibility to meet the needs of the family. Now Israel, 430 years later, they've been in, the, they've been in Egypt, and God is going to pull them out of Egypt. Who does God use to pull them out of Egypt? Moses, he calls up another individual. God uses his people to do his work in this world. He, there's actual responsibility that is placed upon his people. Now let's just think about this for a moment. Let's contextualize uh, what we are facing in our city. When you hear statistics such as this, 85% of our, of our city's School children come from low-income homes. 50%, only half of the kids, will graduate from high school. In our own neighborhood, in our own area right here, between Pennsylvania Avenue and Utah Place, in our own neighborhood, 60% of adults are unemployed. The median household income is $13,000. Johns Hopkins University, a recent study, said this about Baltimore teens. They said Baltimore's teens appear to experience the most severe health consequences with high rates of mental health problems, substance abuse, sexual experience of pregnancy, and sexual violence. 
And let's add the spiritual dimension to this. Sheep without a shepherd, hurting, lost and dying in this world. When we are confronted with the issues in our city, it is tremendous. And when we consider the eternal realities that we are standing with the gospel between people and their eternity, it is absolutely overwhelming. And God has called us to be hope, to show hope, to deliver the hope, to lift up Jesus Christ so that Jesus Christ might be known, so that his way might be embraced, and so that holistic lives might be changed and transformed. You have real responsibility in this city, in this church. We could sit back and we could say, you know, somebody in the church ought to do this, somebody should do this, somebody should do that. You have responsibility. Step up. Serve. Volunteer for a ministry team. Think of your own children. You have real responsibility to teach your child the gospel. Nobody is going to parent your child for you. You have real responsibility to, to be salt and light in your workplace. Take some responsibility there. Nobody is going to, 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 to sit in your seat in order to share the gospel with your coworker on your behalf. Like, feel the weight of responsibility that God has called you to. He's called you to be on a mission. Thabiti Anyabwile recently said this. He says, if we do it right, following Jesus is really hard. If we do it right, following Jesus is really hard. He calls us to some massive tasks. And some, I would say almost every one of you, you know exactly the massive task right now that you're facing. What it means to be faithful in your life in particular. The second heading is this. So first heading, we serve those in need. Second heading, Jesus supplies that which is needed. Let's talk about the supply. I might, I might uh, illustrate it in this way. Let's say a father tells his five-year-old daughter to buy a gift for her mother for Mother's Day. Now, the five-year-old doesn't have any money. They're at the store. He says, pick something out. Buy something for your mom. So she does and say, what can you get for $5? Help me out, mothers. What's a good Mother's Day gift for five bucks? Joel, you should know that. What's that? A card? A card and a, uh, what's that? And candy. Mom's favorite candy. Card and candy. What's that? <laughs> a break. Yeah. Isn't there a candy a break? That Snickers. Snickers. It's like a break. No, Twix. Twix. Anyway. So they're in line. They're about to check out. And uh, the kid puts the card and the candy up on the, the belt goes through, register, whoop, whoop, sw swipes it, $5, and the five-year-old does this. Sticks her hand out and fully expects her father to put a $5 bill in her hand. That was a gift from her, remember? He said, daughter, you buy your mother a gift. But the father knows that she doesn't have what it takes. She knows that she don't have what, have what it takes. 
but she also knows her father's heart and that he will supply whatever it takes in order to be faithful to what he has called her to do. You see the picture there? So let's look at the text. So Jesus tells them, you go ahead and provide. Now, by the way, they will be obedient in that. Like, it's impossible for them to do this. But I want you to see this. They're actually given the opportunity and the ability to be obedient to their master and to give the people food. It's really remarkable. He gives them the ability to be obedient. He, verse 17, he takes the loaves and he takes the fish and he breaks it. And what we see is that he supplies for the people. The, the, the disciples are actually serving in verse 18. And Jesus is their supply. He's supplying their needs so that they might do what he has commanded them to do. Moses said to God before he led Israel out of Egypt, Moses said, I can't do that. And God replied from the bush, God said, I will help you. Moses said, I can't speak, I don't know what to say. And God said, I will give you the words to say, I'll tell you what to say. Moses said, but I have a speech problem. I don't speak very good, and I'm going to get all messed up in my words. And God said, well, I'll give you Aaron. I'm, like, I'm going to supply whatever it is that you need in order for you to be obedient to the task that I have called you to, Moses. Disciples, the Garden Church, each one of us. God has called you to a task, and God, through Christ, through the work of the Holy Spirit, will supply all that is needed. He will supply the grace that you need to forgive. He will supply the patience that you need to deal with your neighbor. He will supply the understanding that you need in order to have cross-cultural and cross-racial racial dialogue with one another. Or whatever the task is that God has called you to, if he's called you to stay up all night with the sick, he will supply the energy that you need. If he's called you to extend yourself in hospitality, he will give you the strength and the grace to muster through and to continue to keep a smile on your face. He will supply. And now secondly, I want you to see this. Not only will he supply, but Jesus supply is limitless. It's limitless. Let me give a quick testimony here. We've recently begun this new ministry called One Hope within the church. It involves campus ministry. It involves life coaching, job development, workforce development, job training, counseling. I mean, you name it. We're trying to do it right now, okay? Uh, future internships. The, what, what we're trying to do is we have this vision to really be able to wrap the entire church around an individual and care for their whole person and disciple them as a whole person so that they might care for their families, work a job, deal with conflict in their life. Now here's the reality is, is going back, this is the testimony I want to share, is this is a vision that kind of like slowly came together in my, my own mind through ministering in the city for a number of years. 
and something that I really felt God was leading us toward, like a more intentional, holistic way to disciple people from the community. And then I, uh, I met Stephanie. Oh, she seems like a great candidate. I, I told Stephanie a couple years ago, like, I think it, I want you to come to Baltimore. And then as things were clarified, I met another guy, and, and he said, you know what? I'll fund a year of your vision. I'm like, wow. So we're doing this, right? And then I met somebody else. and said, I want to be part of that. I want to be part of this. I want to help create things. You see, you see what I'm saying? I'm just using it as a testimony to say that God really does supply. I mean, we've seen this now in our church, that God supplies for the tasks that he calls us to. And I want to apply that to your life individually. There's nothing that you are facing. that God, God has not asked you to do anything uh, that he won't give you the supply for. His supply is limited, limitless. Look at verse, verse 20. Here's really the climax of the whole story. The climax of the story in verse 20. It says, everybody ate. How many people? 20,000, 25, 30,000. Everybody ate, and how did they feel? <sighs> That's how they felt. And it says, and they, meaning the disciples, took up 12 baskets full of broken pieces left over. 12 baskets left over. We started with what? Correct, a lunchable. A little lunchable with five loaves and two fish in it. And leftover, the supply, not only enough to feed everybody, but leftover. It's limitless. Here's where, here's where I'm getting this concept of limitless from 12 baskets. A couple different ways here. First, how many disciples are there? Twelve. I think, I think there's something going on there. Meaning Christ has not only supplied enough for the people to eat, which was the original issue, that was the original need, was the people have to eat. Christ also supplied enough for the disciples to eat. And not only eat, but take home a basket each. Twelve baskets left over. Meaning he gives more grace and more grace, and he, he calls you to something and he not only gives you the ability, the grace to be able to perform that task, but you're left with additional grace. More strength, more energy, more satisfaction, more happiness than you were before you even served. Friends, we have too many Christians in this world that are afraid of being burned out by ministry. We have too many Christians afraid of being burned out by ministry. Too often we're looking at our own strength and our own capacity and saying, here's how much I can give. And so don't ask me to share the gospel with this person because I'm already trying to share the gospel with somebody. Don't ask me to disciple another individual because I'm already discipling somebody. Don't ask me to take on one more ministry project. Don't ask me to take on 
an, uh, deal, mentoring a youth and, and helping someone think through life because I've already got stuff going on in my life. Like We're looking at our own abilities. We're looking at our own capacity, and we're saying, I don't have enough there. Friends, it's not a supply that comes from within. It's a supply that comes from the outside to us. He gives us the strength we need. He gives us the supply and the energy that we need. We say, I don't know how to share the gospel. I'm afraid that I'll mess up. He'll tell you what to say. He'll teach you. He'll supply. He'll give you the training that you need for the ministry that he calls you to. And I'm, what, 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 what I want to point out is this, is that there will be enough left over. You will still have strength. God will continue to, to give you the peace and the energy that you need in order to live your life. His supply is absolutely limitless. Also, I want to point this out. I think there, there's some double meaning going on in the 12 baskets left over. And here's the second meaning that I think is, is there. How many tribes, tribes of Israel are there? 12 tribes. Now, there's been this ongoing debate in the Gospel of Matthew between the Gentiles and the Jews. Primarily, it's the Jews thinking the grace of God is for us. It's not for the Gentiles. What Jesus is showing here is simply this, that the grace of God through the bread, the bread being Jesus Christ, the provision, our righteousness, the grace of God in Jesus Christ is enough for all of the multitudes. It's enough for the 5,000, the 20,000, the 25,000, the 30,000. And there is enough grace in God, even within the leftover, to supply all the grace needed for the 12 tribes of Israel. Like there is no lack of grace within God. We are running over like overflowing with the grace of God in our own life. Friends, there's enough grace within God for you, for all of your sin. Like in what ways are we counted as righteous? In what ways does God say that that I am satisfied with you? It's not because we do all of these things for him. It's not because we feed the 5,000 or because we disciple or share the gospel or because we meet a need or a, disciple or a mentor or a youth or feed a hungry belly. No, it's not because we do those things. We have grace because of Christ. It's because Christ is the bread of life. It's because Christ died in our place. Christ lived for us. Christ rose from the dead victoriously and all who turn from their sins and trust in Christ have the promise that they are forgiven of their sins, counted as righteous, and they're given new life. And so then, check this out, we serve then, not out of guilt. We serve out of an overflow of what Christ is giving to us. We serve out of an overflow of all of the good things, the bread of life, the grace of Jesus Christ that we receive, and we then just simply pass them on to the multitudes. Let me give you a profile of the relentless servant in the kingdom of God. Just kind of a handle for you to grab onto. A profile of 
the relentless servant. I think of George Mueller, who relentlessly just continued to meet needs every day, just trusting in God to give him the grace for one more minute, to give him another dollar so he could buy another piece of food to feed a hungry belly. I think of many of you who pour yourselves out in a number of different ways, the lives of your children, to the lives of your friends, neighbors, roommates, co-workers, into the lives of people that live in this city. What does it look like to be relentless as a servant in the kingdom of God? Here's a quick profile. Number one, we are fueled with gospel compassion. We are fueled with a gospel-driven compassion. We have pity. We feel the pain. It's the kind of pain that makes our stomach ache as we see the lost, as we see sheep without a shepherd. We are fueled with gospel compassion. Secondly, we are focused on a need. We see a need. We realize the responsibility that God has given us to meet that need, whether physical or spiritual. We focus in on that need, fueled with gospel compassion. And then we are, third, filled with faith that Christ will supply all that is needed for us to meet that need. We are a recipient of his grace, and he supplies us with the grace to be a means of grace to a lost and dying world. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this text, for this massive miracle recorded in all four Gospels, Jesus feeding thousands of people. God, we thank you for the the lesson that is applied to us in this text, that he calls his people to be servants in his kingdom, but not out of something that we can do on our own, purely out of the grace that we have through Jesus Christ. God, we ask that the Holy Spirit help us in each task that you call us to this week, that we might be your hands and feet, that we might be salt and light in a lost and dying world. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.